welcome to Living a Sensory Life, a podcast that I've started talking all things sensory. So my name's Becky, I'm the founder of Sensory Spectacle, and I've run this podcast to teach you all about sensory processing disorder. We're going to be interviewing people, we're going to be sharing strategies, I'm going to be giving you research, and I'm also going to be explaining things to you so that you can help to understand the child or adult you care for or support just that little bit better. So in this episode, I want to talk to you about a sensory lifestyle. So using this term just gives sensory processing difficulties such a more positive outlook in the way that we support people. This term came to me right near the beginning of my career and I was having a conversation with a parent on Twitter and she said that's what she refers her daughter's support strategies. It's her sensory lifestyle. And since then, it's just stuck. So a sensory lifestyle is the way that I describe we support someone with a sensory processing disorder. So other people may refer to it as a sensory diet. Um, But to me, the term diet just seems a little bit temporary. I know when I've attempted a diet, it may have been knowing it's for a month or a few months or a few weeks. And it doesn't feel like something which is actually there long standing. So something which is going to support me for the rest of my life. Whereas when we think about healthy living and exercise, we recognise those as a more long term way of supporting ourselves, supporting our well-being. And so thinking about the way that we can approach supporting people with sensory processing difficulties with a sensory lifestyle, to me, helps them and us just approach it in a different way. So it reminds us of the importance that it does impact someone's everyday life and that it's not something temporary. Regardless of whether they're a child or an adult, adults have found ways of being able to adapt and regulate and respond to their environment because they've had longer, they've had more years in order to be able to recognise their needs. Children are still learning about the world around them and also finding new ways in order to support themselves. Now, for both children and adults... Our environment, our world around us is constantly changing, which means that our sensory processing is constantly recognising and responding to different inputs. So by referring to a sensory lifestyle, we can have more of a flexible thought as to how we can then adapt and adjust as things change throughout our lives. So a sensory lifestyle is finding ways that we can then support someone so that they can learn to self-regulate, but also be able to adjust and adapt to the changes that are happening around them. It's really important because otherwise we won't be able to help someone to become more independent because they will find it difficult to recognise the changes in their environment and to adjust to them. So a sensory diet may plan out specific times of the day, specific lengths of time, specific quantities of activities that you'll do 
However, you and I vary from day to day. I may wake up one day and feel a lot more tired than the day before. And so for that day, I need more input to wake me up in the morning in order to be able to focus on what I have to work on that day. However, other days when I wake up and I'm raring to go, I might need less of that time and input in order to wake myself up to get going. And it's exactly the same when we think about sensory processing difficulties. The way that we support someone isn't necessarily going to be the same every single day. That can be due to the changes of our own bodies, but also due to the changes of our environment and the world around us. By thinking about a sensory lifestyle, we want to help someone to be able to focus. We want them to be able to have fun, to interact, to communicate effectively, and also to learn. And that's exactly what we will be providing with a sensory lifestyle. It can fit into every aspect of our day because we're just using that moment in time in order to be able to find and create support strategies. Rather than thinking, oh, it's 10 o'clock, we need to have 10 minutes out and do some movement input. Yes, in more structured environments or in environments like work where it can be very difficult because you can easily become distracted on the amount of work that you have to do, it's good to have a timer on to remind you to take some time out, to go and have a drink, to go and have a walk. However, for a sensory lifestyle, it's also thinking about when I'm at home, when it's my leisure time, when I am out in the community, how can I put strategies into place to prepare and support myself or the person that I'm looking after? So we can create sensory lifestyles by, first of all, recognising someone's overriding sensory needs. And as the podcast progress, I'll talk to you more and more about this. However, you can learn for yourself now on our online training, Becoming a Sensory Detective. That goes into so much detail about how we recognise someone's overriding sensory needs for that specific person. We need to understand their overriding sensory needs because that's how we then personalise and create this lifestyle. A lot of the things that the person is already doing is in response to the way that they are recognising their environment. Now, the reason why one person walks on their tiptoes can be very different for another person as to why they walk on their tiptoes. So before we even start putting strategies in place to help that person get that sensory input which they require from walking on their tiptoes, we need to understand why it is for that person. So observing the way that they support themselves in all different environments. So I just mentioned at school, if they're in education, at home, in the community, when you're shopping, when you're with friends, when you're with family. These different times throughout our day can also help us to really understand that person the best that we can. Then we can start to implement strategies to help to support someone and that will then more easily fit into their daily routine because we've got a better understanding for that person. So we can find the things that they already do or that they already like and expand on that into their daily routines. 
It might be that someone absolutely loves cooking and so we can include that into their activity and we can make things like dough and bread so we can have lots of kneading of mixtures to get that hand proprioceptive awareness in rather than the clapping, banging and grabbing that we might observe. So once we've recognised in home, in school, at work, in leisure times, we can then put these strategies into place in regards to someone's everyday living. Now it shouldn't be approached as being timetabled. Apart from, like I mentioned, if you are in work or you do need that prompt and reminder for yourself, oh it's time to eat or oh it's time to go for a walk, have an alert, have a reminder on, on some kind of device to help you to do that. But otherwise it shouldn't be structured, it shouldn't be timetabled. I don't choose when I feel cold and when I put my jumper on. I will just put my jumper on if I recognise that my body temperature has dropped and I need to raise it. And that's the way we should be thinking about supporting someone's sensory lifestyle. So once we really understand that person the best that we can, we know we recognise their overriding sensory needs within the environment and in the community and their life, it's then a lot easier to personalise the way we support them. Once we've got this personalisation and recognition of someone's sensory needs, we're then more able and uh, flexible to recognise the changes over time. So as someone gets older, we might recognise that the way they support themselves or the way they respond to their environment changes as well. By thinking about someone's sensory lifestyle, we're then thinking about not stopping and starting something new. We're thinking about just adjusting and adapting what someone already has as part of their daily routine. So it might be that you do a little bit more intensive physical input when someone wakes up in the morning. Preparing someone for their daily routine is really, really important. And if we're able to help demonstrate to someone how they can support themselves, how they can regulate themselves, that's going to be a lot more long lasting. So then this concept of having a sensory lifestyle and not a sensory diet means that it's something which can be done a lot more independently. And we know for people with sensory processing difficulties, there's that overriding need to feel in control. Because so much of the world around them is uncontrollable, it's spontaneous, it changes from second to second. And so they may be on constant high alert to try and support themselves, to try and be okay with those changes that happen. So if we can help equip someone and prepare them, build them up for being flexible with the changes that might happen, they're going to feel a lot more confident in going out into the community. They're going to feel a lot more independent in being able to do things for themselves. And they're going to feel a lot more um, courageous to try new things. So some meaningful ways that we can help to add in aspects to someone's sensory lifestyle. Well, thinking about their daily routine, thinking about um, what it is that that person is requiring. So does someone come up and always give you a big hug? Is that because they really love you and want to give you a big hug? 
Is it because also they require that amount of body input in order to feel good? Or is it that they're not recognising how much force and pressure they're using? Those are all slightly different things and some of them may cross over and tie in together. So then you can add in, keep in those hugs. You don't want to stop someone from hugging you, especially if it's a way of them communicating to you and showing you affection. However, we do want to make sure that they're getting in that body awareness that they require in their daily routine. So lots of that joint and muscle um, feedback, maybe some push-ups, maybe some resistance work, something where they're getting that squeeze in, in their upper body. When we're approaching something referred to like a sensory diet, it's not about us trying to tick that box. It's not about us trying to think about it in a very um, methodical way. It's about us thinking about for that person. So we must personalise the way that we support people with sensory processing difficulties. It might seem difficult at times because some days someone may find it harder to regulate themselves because there's been so many changes that have been happening that day. Whereas other days may seem a lot easier and that person may feel a little bit more independent at being able to support themselves. It's really important for us to remember that when we are providing support for people with sensory processing difficulties, we shouldn't think of it in a way of just adding sensory input. Now, it's a lot more easy for us to provide supports for people who seek out sensory input. However, it's also just as important to recognise what sensory systems does someone find overwhelming or do they try to avoid or regulate out? So it may appear to us that someone is a movement seeker a lot of the time, so we can provide movement activities. However, in their overriding sensory needs, we must also recognise the things that they might find overwhelming. So do they like that movement? Partly because actually it helps to distract from the noise that's going on around them, the busyness that's happening around them. If so, when you're thinking about providing activities, how can you also consider reducing that auditory element as well? You'll find that then support strategies are a lot more effective if they go straight in to supporting someone's overriding sensory needs. So I'd like you to start thinking about your child or your own or the person that you care or supports sensory lifestyle. What is it currently that you do on a day-to-day -day basis to support their sensory needs? What is it that they do to support their sensory needs? Do they seem quite stubborn? Do they seem quite rigid? Do they like to do things in their own routine? Now, some of that may be down to their personality. Some of it may be down to them wanting to stay in control and feeling like there's something which they own. And so by helping to create a sensory lifestyle with them, that's exactly what we're doing. We're helping that person to feel a lot more in control because actually we're helping them and us recognise their sensory needs to help them have a more enjoyable quality of life. So as you're thinking about someone's sensory lifestyle, 
Try and use the word, try and use the term. It will help us to resonate with the concept and the purpose that actually sensory processing difficulties aren't choosable. We can't recognise, oh, I've got a sensory processing difficulty now and I don't have it now. Yes, certain times of the day may feel a lot easier. However, when we're thinking about a lifestyle, it's someone's way of life. When we're thinking about a diet, it's very much more temporary. It's here now, I'll do this later. And that to me is a sign where it's not needed for someone in order to regulate. I would love to have chocolate every day, but I don't need chocolate every day. And so that's my aspect of a sensory diet. It's a very temporary thing. Whereas I need to eat every day. I need to move my body every day. And those are the ways that I help myself stay content, regulated and have a great mental health and quality of life. So I hope that's got you thinking about some of the ways that you approach supporting someone's sensory needs. And if we can try and refer to these support strategies as a sensory lifestyle and think about someone's whole life rather than just a child, just in education, just in specific environments, then we're really going to be helping the person who has sensory processing difficulties as well as our understanding when we're communicating it to others as well. This podcast was brought to you by Sensory Spectacle. You can find out more about our immersive training and workshops on our website, sensorispectacle.co.uk. We educate about and create awareness of sensory processing disorder internationally. We travel the world helping parents and professionals to understand specific characteristics relating to sensory processing needs. On our website, you'll find books, sensory support items, classroom resources, as well as information about our trainings. If you have any questions, please do get in touch. We love to hear from you. But otherwise, thanks for listening.